Wild West was a place that was void of God's law and every man did what was right in his own eyes. More than 95% of Americans lived in places with fewer than 2,500 inhabitants. By 1830, the distance of the prairie needed circuit riders to spread God's word. Some called them saddlebag preachers. These were a different kind of clergy, used to long, dusty roads and lonely, empty spaces. They rode from church to church on horseback. These days, many of those same places still have less than 2,500 folk. The men and women who are called there are still a different breed of clergy. The needs are different, but the call to reach men and women with the message of Christ is still the same. In the spirit of these circuit riders, we aim to meet a few of those specific needs. Welcome to the Circuit Rider Podcast. Here are your hosts. Mike Cool, and welcome to another episode of the Dirt Road Circuit Riders Podcast. I'm here with the two wonderful and distinguished gentlemen, one from Michigan and Crossroads Farms, Doug Rutledge, and one from Dirt Roads Network and the wonderful world of Kansas, total we're not in Kansas anymore, Steve McVeigh. So much wonderful. I I keep on saying, I just want to be a dude. But here the thing (laughs) is, is that I am not decorated. I don't. I haven't won fancy awards or anything. No. And this... we were just learning that Doug Rutledge is a local superstar. And, so, and so Doug, Doug, what are you known for? Brag on it yourself, will. my friend, well, in a positive way. If I must. All right. So <laughs> when we first moved into the community here in Hillsdale County, the most uh, they boast the most popular fair on the planet. Uh, because when they put the banner up, which was a long time ago, the, the attendance of the fair doubled the population of the county. So it was extremely popular. Uh, and I learned that that was the rhythm. They cancel school on Mondays. Everybody's there. 4-H projects. You go and see everything. And so uh, that's part of our rhythm in the fall. And uh, somebody had invited me over to their house. And th- this is attached. I'll get around to it. But they'd, atta- they'd, they'd said that they were going to have some pepper jam. Did I want any? No. I said, well, you know, it doesn't really sound my, like my thing, pepper jam. Mm, I don't know. Pepper jam. It's, it's pepper, yeah, jam. pepper jam. Um, and so they said, oh, no, you just need to try it. They put some cream cheese on a cracker, and they put this pepper jam on it, and they handed me the cracker. And they said, go ahead and try it. So I did, and, man, I was hooked. I'm, I was like, this is unbelievable. So I went home and I said, I am going to learn how to make pepper jam. So I did. I experimented the first year, made some. The second year, I thought, this is so good. I'm going to enter it in the Hillsdale County Fair. So I took it down and I entered it uh, in the Hillsdale County Fair. And here's the amazing thing. My second year ever in making pepper jam. I won not only the blue ribbon for best jam, but I won the uh, the Michigan State Gold Ribbon for Best Jam. I am a jam champion. You're the jam bomb. Hey, jam is my jam. We <laughs> are the champions, my, my friend. friend. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, so uh, all I was saying is it's interesting to me. Um, we're known for for things in each community. I remember we had a uh, we had a banquet, and at the banquet we had an MC. He's a good friend. And we let him know that in the in uh, at the banquet that night there was a guy who had some real renown. Uh, he was known for two things. Number one, he was a world champion coon hunter, hmm. and the second thing is that he had set a world record uh, as a horse puller. Uh, 
And a lot of people don't know this, but Hillsdale County is actually the world mecca for horse pulling. Hmm. A lot of people don't know that. They would see, oh, there's nothing there. But... How far do you pull a horse? Well, as far as <laughs> it goes. This feels like a trick question. It, it, it does. does. And actually, these are athlete horses that that weigh uh, incredible amounts. Yeah. of uh, So 25, 26, 2700 pounds. And they're refined like athletes. Wow. Then they they have to get them to work together as a team and they pull these weighted sleds to a set distance. So it is really something. Um, And I I love going and seeing it. Well, so we handed that piece of paper to our MC who then made jokes about it as if it was just a, you know, a redneck thing. Hey, okay, we got a a coon hunter and a horse pulling. And then he made a joke of it. And I'm telling you, it, really offended our community mm-hmm. because those things matter. Yeah. Now they don't matter out of here. You don't care about my pepper jam, but, but people in the County were like, Hey, I saw you won the goal. Congratulations. People in my community knew that I had won this, this ribbon. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, our communities are known for what they're known for Am I supposed to be uh, an expert in my community as a pastor? Because we've been talking about that, the missionary mindset right. and how I redefine and, and understand my community. We, I've referred to it as the cultural attache. Exactly. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, we have been talking about how the pastor's role has been redefined. Yeah. And, and one of the key elements is we've been talking about, you know, the importance of vision, yeah. and understanding that the, the things have shifted in terms of the model of success and how to make a disciple yep. and... You know what it what it means a prophetic voice in that and that biblical voice. And we've talked about all those things that come into it, and now we're landing in a different t- spot. We're landing in what I think is the key. If you're going to shift your role, you're going to be shifting to a more of a missionary mindset, as Jeff Clark said in the interviews. And if you haven't heard those podcasts, go back and listen to them. I yeah. think they're just yeah, excellent. They are great. And and what does a mission feel look like? And the obvious, it's your community. So when it comes to engaging in our being an expert in our community, what's some of the things we could do? Well, you know, like the traditional answer. Okay, is you do a demographic study. There's like this religious, uh, you know, demographic company, Arda. You can go to Barna, you know, you can. Yes, I know, exactly. See, and and can I just apologize to you again that we bought this thing you know, that all allows us to is, put in sound? Is Snow effects. White with the little butterflies taking <laughs> yes. the birdies, taking yes. the, the thing across? Because here's the thing about that. Okay, so so that is. I think that might work in some communities where you have very defined community boundaries and everyone inside that boundary yeah. is basically the same. But I do not think that demographic information is as helpful in a rural setting. And one of the reasons why is really exemplified in a ride that we took yesterday. So we are here, we are guests of the Rutledges at Crossroads Farm, and Doug here has really been, they're some of the most gracious hosts you'll ever find. But he gave us a tour of this area the other day, and as he drove us around, we just saw some of the things that would really 
really make a demographic study really not that helpful. And so, Doug, could you just describe what you were pointing out to us? I mean, it's hard to put into words. Yeah, I think demographic studies have a value. They have a purpose, census, and that kind of thing has value. But uh, our drive was through the township, reading township. And so uh, we were traveling around just one of our communities. And the the dichotomy between the types of homes, the, the stories of the families living in those homes, the family heritage, the tracks from home to home to home, uh, people living in multi-million dollar homes, and then next door you have a double wide trailer that you're shocked that people live in. And, and then, you know, that trailer is on a plot that essentially looks like a junkyard. We went into town and we're seeing um, homes that are beautiful and you see businesses that are thriving and you see other things that are not. Uh, there's just a, there's a huge uh, volume of information there but it's not simple. Mm-hmm. So in a, in a suburban community, and I grew up in suburban Detroit, so in a suburban community, you understand the community by virtue of socioeconomics. Only a certain type of person lives in this community. They all go to the same school. They all wear the same clothes because they all shop in the same places. There's, there's a sameness, and I'm not diminishing uniqueness or person. I'm just saying there's a sameness to a... A suburban community. There is a sameness to an urban community. This is our neighborhood. You know, we're we're from this particular sub neighborhood, and and there's sameness to it. In the rural community, how on earth does a pastor minister to this broad swath of people? Some with multi uh, degrees. You know, some who didn't graduate from high school. Yeah. How do you minister to all of that? And how do you even discover who's in the community and what your community is made of? And um, I'm just going to throw it to you, Michael, and just ask you what. So I'm not going to let you use demographic information. If you were moving here, what would be the first thing you would do to become an expert on this community? Well, and I'm really thankful you're not making me demographic information, to be honest. The, the, the key, though, is this, even if you weren't first moving, I'm going to put a caveat in this. If you've been in your place even 10 years or 15 years, I this is going to apply to you in this way. Things change sometimes and you don't know it. It's like gaining weight. Like it becomes gradual or, you know, things We're like going that. Going down the wrong road with I'm this just trying now. to help out. Just trying to help out. It's just, it's a gradual thing as age is as Why well. Why is it the skinny guys always mention I'm not, weight? You know, I'm not that skinny. You know, he's got a wedding. His daughter's getting married here shortly. And so he's lost 35, 40, 50, 60. I don't know how many oh pounds. And so now he's rubbing it in, Doug. But anyway, I'm go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I just want to like look good walking down the aisle because they're going to be looking at me, not the bride that's pretty obvious yes so, that's true yeah i'm like yeah uh-huh. he wants to steal his daughter's thunder on her wedding day <laughs> ladies and gentlemen so we'll pray for humility later um anyways we you know i think the caveat is like it needs due change you don't notice it in the reality of that so here's what i want to push on though it's really simple the first place i go is the schools and i talk to the superintendent of schools and say to him and in any rural community whatever school district they're in there's a superintendent of schools somehow some way and you talk to them and they're going to tell you the needs of your community, and you are going to be surprised. You're going to find out who's on free and reduced lunch. You're going to find out the issues of your families, the issues of students you don't know outside of your even little church community, and you're going to be like, wow. And you know, I think the reality is we're always surprised in rural America how many people are on free and reduced lunch. You know, I think that's really important for yeah. us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. for me, Doug, it was like um, 65% of our community, and I think it was Yeah, yours. and I'm not, I'm not sure I know the exact numbers. I know it's over 50, so yeah, it right. is over 50 in terms of free and, and reduced lunch. And, and you'd be amazed. I mean, 
50%. Yeah. Yeah. Part of what, part of the, the reality is, is that people who are in a community a long time, they know who they know and they don't see people they don't know. Right. And, and when it comes to poverty, usually this is a stereotypical statement, but is generally true that people who are poorer have more children. Mm-hmm. And, and so you get to the schools, you find out free reduced. I don't know of a school in any of the churches that I've worked with that has had less than 50% mm-hmm. of free and reduced lunches. And, and I think another place, so, so like the importance of, of op- asking open-ended questions of these people. Right. So in, in North central Kansas, there's a town where we're getting ready to plant a church. And right now we're, we're in that discovery phase. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do here. I knew the superintendent of schools. I reached out to him. I just sent him the generic questions. You know, what is the what is the makeup? Like even what is the racial makeup? Because you don't really know that until you get into the schools. Right. And and you know, and I, I just asked him, what are the greatest community needs? Well, he answers the questions and he says, now, now here's the real problem. He says, in our community, to build a new house, you have to own five acres, and that's holding everybody out except for rich folks. It's a way of, like, it's a wow. design. Now, I would have never known that about this. There's no way that I would have right. figured that out without someone explaining that right. to me. Exactly. So that person who is engaged in the community is the one who's going to teach me about the community. Who else would you go to? Well, so uh, I mean, schools are great. If you can't superintendent, principals work as well. I want to state that first of all. I would definitely go to like um, a county worker, like a caseworker, a social worker, or a hospital caseworker, a nurse. Uh, My wife's actually a county nurse, and by the way, she works in mental health county nurse, and she has her her. uh, pulse on that another great one is if they have a mayor or town council and i know most mayors are working two jobs like yep. some rural america that's reality but they'll gladly take that call they love it if there's a police chief or a police officer to talk to those are great great people and there's one other one caveat if you had a diner or a coffee house of some sort of shape or form yes talking to the the owners or managers of that because they're the new bartenders of the world really mm-hmm. there's yeah. still bars out there but they actually know what's going on too you and I ask simple questions. Here's what I ask: What are the top five needs do you uh, see in your community? Um, what what group of people I think are struggling the most? Is it families? Is it kids? Is it youth? Like, what are we seeing? And then I just ask them like, what was one hope dream that they have? Like, it sounds really open ended, and it is on purpose. And my gosh, it is amazing to see. And you'll end up finding the thread. Like, there's like threads. They may have different angles they're coming from, but you'll find threads in it. It's really fascinating. And be aware, like when you walk into a rural church for the first time, like if you're just walking in, you already have a sense in which people are self sorting. Right. So everyone in your congregation is going to have one view of your community that isn't necessarily the lens that you need to see that community right. through. Listen to them, but get these divergent voices. Absolutely. Still listen to your church. I mean, we, we take that into account too. But if you're a new planting church, is a great way. And if you are already in, asking your community again, we do this every three years in our town. Mm-hmm. And that and we don't have to do it every year. It's rural America. But we think every three years gives us a great vibe of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, when you... Your communities that open up, they actually enjoy the conversation because no one's asking them that question. And then you have an idea of like where the real realities of your town is at. Absolutely. I think you should also, like if you're a young person, you should get this the paper if the community yes. has a paper, okay? If you're an older person and you already get the paper, get engaged in social media. The Like almost every community has some kind of Facebook group 
Uh, maybe even it's a shop talk and swap and whatever, but it right. just connects you to that community and you begin to get that community's vibe. Also know the history, you yeah. know? Yeah, I think uh, history is critical. All of this is important. I'm a, you know, I, I want to tag in on this because I think you can't give value to a community unless you know the need of the community. Right. Yeah. And sometimes we make assumptions as pastors, as leaders, that we have our finger on the pulse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you two examples. Number one, by having the conversations, it opens doors for you to minister as that uh, middle ground. Uh, you're a conduit for good deeds. Uh at the beginning of COVID, everybody was pretty freaked out. If you recall, was there going to be enough food? Were people going to and toilet uh, paper? Yep. And we had somebody who contacted us um, from Bob Evans, and I'm a big Bob. E- I am. I'm a big Bob e- Evans fan. And uh, he was a plant manager and said, "Look, we uh, we've had to park refrigerator trucks full of restaurant quality Bob Evans food, but we can't sell it. We have to give it away." And it's, I, I need the trucks. He said, the, the restaurants aren't taking it because they're shut down. We need to distribute food. So because of that, we said, well, we'll see what we can do. We opened up our parking lot. This was the peak of the COVID scare. And so they brought a semi-truck. They brought a, you know, a Hilo. They brought pallets of food. And we distributed over, we distributed over 900 packages of food. We're talking weeks of restaurant quality food. I didn't know if it was going to land because we didn't really do any advertising, but I will tell you that an hour before we were supposed to start giving food away, there was a line of cars that went a half a mile down our road. And we said, okay, we need to open early. And we started distributing that food. That was a need met because we were talking to people who were key leaders. And it happens all the time for us. We're yeah. giving away stuff because people know, you know exactly. what the but, community needs. But exactly. you also learned about the community. Mm-hmm. Okay, because right. like some of us would assume, like if you're if you're in a church where, where the socioeconomic level is a little higher, people would say, well, there's no need for food in this community. And then you do something like that, and suddenly there is. So so you have to you have to become what what I would say, Michael, is that in the end, a a good, and this is like, I'm going to add one more thing to this long list, pastors, that we're telling you, but a missionary would be an expert in their town. There should be no one who knows your community better than you as a pastor. Absolutely. And don't make assumptions. So I'm going to end with one story here and then we'll wrap her up. Yeah. I, I talked to a young planter. He came into the town. This had worked so well in the last rural community, but he'd been in another rural community, like only a few hours away. And he thought for sure this was going to work. And I said, have you asked the town? Oh, no, no, no. It's the same type of culture. I'm like, are you sure? Well, he goes about and does it, and it absolutely just flops. Like, it almost insulted the town. And then I I said, uh, go talk. Go talk to a few people. He came back. He goes, oh, my gosh. I should have the almost exact opposite of that thing. And I'm like, yeah, that would have been helpful. And so even being there a long time, I can make an assumption. I have been in Chippewa Falls almost 17 years now. And the reality is I can get into my habits. And, and just recently with COVID, I made a decision at the end to find out what they needed. And things had shifted. Things had shifted in terms of mental health needs, domestic violence needs, drug drug addictions are even higher than what they were. They were already there, but they've increased. And just was like, whoa. So take some time. My challenge for you, Pastor, as, as we wrap up here, is who can you contact in the next week or two and reach out, set up coffee with or a phone call with and say, 
hey, superintendent of schools, hey, principal, hey, nurse down the street, case worker, hey, the owner of the diner, hey, whoever it is, chief of police, mayor, whatever you got to talk to, town council member, hey, can I take you out and can I find out just simply what you think our community needs? Yeah. I think it's a great way to wrap up this one today. Yeah. And so as, I, as, I, as we look forward to the next thing, I hope you have enjoyed your community. I hope you become an expert. I'm looking forward to find out how we engage our community next time, and I hope you're having an engaging time with us as well. Take care, everybody. <laughs>